It is as follows. Yoginam apisarvesham Madgatanantaratmana Shadhavan Pajate Yomam Sami Yuktatamo Mataha Yoginam of Yogis. Api also Sarvesham all types of Madkatena abiding in me, always thinking of me. Anta Atmana within himself. Shadhavan in full faith. Pajate renders transcendental living service. Ya one who Mam to me the Supreme Lord. Saha he may by me. Yuktatama, the greatest yogi, Mataha, is considered. Translation, and of all yogis, the one with great faith, who always abides in me, thinks of me within himself, and renders transcendental loving service to me. He is the most intimately united with me in yoga, and is the highest of all. That is my opinion. Please repeat. And of all yogis, and of all yogis, the one with great faith, the one with great faith, who always abides in me, always abides in me, thinks of me within himself, thinks of me within himself, and renders transcendental loving service to me. He is the most intimately united with me in yoga. He is the most intimately united with me in yoga. And is the highest of all. That is my opinion. Srila Prabhupada's purport. The word bhajate is significant here. Bhajate has its root in the word bhaj, which is used when there is need of service. The English word worship cannot be used in the same sense as bhaj. Worship means to adore or to show respect and honor to the worthy one. But service with love and faith is especially meant for the Supreme Personality of Godhead. One can avoid worshipping a respectable man or a demigod and may be called discourteous, but one cannot avoid serving the Supreme Lord without being thoroughly condemned. Every living entity is part and parcel of the Supreme Personality of Godhead, and thus every living entity is intended to serve the Supreme Lord by his own constitution. Failing to do this, he falls down. So the word worship actually in English, originally comes from the word worth. And the word originally was worth, um, and the worth means uh, value. And when you put a, a ship on the end of a word, it becomes a noun. And so it's actually worth ship. Um, that where you're putting value. It's very similar to um, shraddha. Well, it has some relation. Shraddha, shrad means the heart, and da is an active verb. It means where you place something. So it means where, where, what are you giving your heart to? And so worship by some kind of Sunday rules became worship. It morphed into that because it's easier to say. Language changes over time. Uh, Sanskrit is very refined deliberately. Other languages morph because of... Um, common usage. So the word worship is there where somebody's giving one's attention. And as far as being thoroughly condemned, that's a um, strong statement, but we let's think of it in the way Prabhupada 
talks about the way in which the, um, we're part and parcel of the Lord and how we have to worship Him in order to have value. So one of the examples that Prabhupada gives is that of a screw. And that is, the screw has a really important function when it fits into the machine that it's supposed to be assisting. And I remember when I was a kid in uh, junior high school, it was always a glorious day when the teacher would, would wheel in the movie projector, because it means we didn't have to sit and listen to some boring lecture. And it didn't matter how boring the, <laughs> the movie was, it was better than the teacher any old day. And uh, I remember some prankster in the class, when the teacher wasn't looking, took out a screw from the, um, from the projector. And, um, and nobody thought it was a big deal until she tried to turn it on and it didn't work. The, the film wasn't um, feeding properly through the thing and it, and it ruined the whole thing. And the screw, of course he was afraid to admit it, that he had taken it out and nobody wanted to rat on him. But the fact was that the movie was wrecked and so was my day. Um, but I was thinking that one tiny little screw, but then there goes the whole thing. And, and then Prabhupada had used that example about the screw. And one day when I was walking around Govardhan Hill, I felt something hard on my foot. Like I thought it was a stone or something, and I looked down, it was a little screw. And I picked that little screw up out of the dust, and I was actually feeling sorry for it, because I was thinking, like, this is just like me. I, like, I was thinking, where'd you come from? Like, where'd you fall out of one of those, you know, big uh, road warrior machines, you know, the three-wheelers or whatever they are. And, uh, and, and you know, I was just really um, thinking about Prabhupada's analogy, how it was doing something really useful. And, and in its glory days, because it was connected to the machine, it really was important. But just lying there on the street, it's just a forlorn and basically condemned little item because it has a purpose has no other earthly purpose. It, it was created for a specific reason. And now when it's separated, it's just become forlorn <coughs> and really basically, um, but it's interesting the word condemned because then, and you know, a screw, of course, analogies aren't always perfect. A screw doesn't have volition, but human beings do. And if you choose to put your attention elsewhere, it's, uh, you know, it's not just stupid, it's also condemned. Because once you, once you avert your attention from your real purpose, then uh, it's really unseemly. Because Press uh, probably gives the example of a finger also. And so the finger all day long, it's supposed to be at my beck and call. Like, come here, go get that thing, you know, <laughs> get some ointment, whatever it is, do your thing. And if it doesn't respond, it, and it's really a kind of a condemned finger. Literally, it becomes useless and, and a problem. And those living entities that uh, don't uh, serve Krishna and have actually diverted their attention elsewhere become a disturbance. And they become disturbed. Bhayam dvitiya abhini beshatasya they're in a reverse condition of life, so then they become um, a competitor for Krishna, which is also a dumb idea. And then you've also got uh, anxiety, fear, because you're out of your uh, pro proper alignment. So it's a really um, simple point, but it's, it's so uh, important that harmony, happiness comes from alignment. And once you know what you're supposed to be doing, and you do, just do it, or even before you can do it, if you're trying to do it, and you're trying to align, then you're um, likely to be happy and feel successful, even if you haven't gotten to that point yet. So let's have uh, any reflections or comments or questions about the first paragraph. Reflection means just anything that sounded yes, worthy. Krishna's company. <laughs> um, you just said just now that 
and uh, just therefore yesterday, Shila Prabhupada in Jadri Sritamata was reading the Mahyam Jyotiya Abhinivesh he puts as Krishna's competitor. And that's a scary, <laughs> you know, scary thought just came over me. It was like, you know, how can I do that? But that envy in my heart, which is there inherent, is somehow, you know, creating that competition. Yeah. And, and the focus is going away from me. Now you said initially the attention, if we shift our attention, that's like a condemned screw. So, yes, I mean, it's a scary thing being Krishna's competitor. Yeah, basically, I'm condemning myself. Because uh, Krishna points out in the Bhagavad Gita that that we have options. Yanti deva vrta devan, pitran yanti pratir vrta, bhutani yanti puteja, yanti mam yajino bimam. Wherever you'd like to put your attention, you're going you're gonna to go there. And if you put your uh, attention into the uh, lower modes of material nature, turn away from Krishna, you see darkness, and you invest in that, then urvam kachita sattvasta madhyam tishtanti rajasa ado kachanti, no, jaganya guna vrittista ado kachanti tamasa. Krishna says, it's just a natural course of things. If you put your attention into sattva, you're going to go up. If you put it into rajas, you're going to stay in the middle. And if you put it into tamas, you're going to go down into a uh, an abominable situation and then he says it's, it's your choice where you want to turn your attention so the condemning process really is done by the individual Krishna uh, just points out that this is your constitutional position and if you don't uh, abide by it properly and that that's something a living entity remarkably can do because of having uh, a modicum of freedom then uh, he condemns himself. He does it to himself. That's why when a living entity comes to full consciousness, then he thinks in terms of how I, how I got myself into this. Like, So that vipakam sounds like kumbipaka, mm -hmm. which it is, and it's like a cooking process. So in America, we have this saying that you cooked your own goose. <laughs> like you cooked yourself, you know, like you put yourself in the pot, you turned on the heat, and you, like you're even stirring it, you know. <laughs> you're, hey, you're in the pot. It sounds like a cartoon or something. And uh, that's the idea, tate nukampamsusimikshamano, the devotee realizes that I, I really uh, condemned myself. And because of that, there's reactions that are coming out of the dark energy that I've created by turning away. And he doesn't blame God at all for, for the condemning process. He sees that it's my own, my own fault. Other things? Yes? I was appreciating the point that you made about harmony brings alignment. And alignment the, brings harmony. Alignment brings harmony. And then the, the example of the screw, that how if the screw was its right place, if it is right place, then it is having its proper function which is doing it, the example of how like bring the point that how we when we serve Krishna then we are in the right situation. Yeah. Yeah, it's um Prabhupada simplified it so much about the screw and then the finger. Come here finger, okay. <laughs> and if the finger doesn't come then it's diseased. It's it that's all it does. And it's happy serving properly. In fact you don't even think about it. It's just I really like my finger, actually. But if it doesn't work, then you, you know it becomes a source of of concern. And so you know you can see what a good servant's like. But it's not the enjoyer; it's just a cooperator with the whole. Prabhu. Uh, I like the first uh, part where Prabhupada actually defined bhajate uh, in traditional Hinduism, bhajan is referred to as just glorification or bhakti is referred to as devotion but uh, Prabhupada mentioned that service is the key thing in bhajan or bhakti mm. and he translated bhakti as devotional service not just devotion yeah that's in the definition of, of bhakti
Anyabilashita Shunyam, Gyana Karma Nyadavritam, Anakulyena Krishnanu Shilanam, Bhaktirutama. So the word Shil, Shil is the, the root word for Shilanam, and it means cultivation. And then Rupa Goswami points out that there's two types of cultivation. One is using your external senses, and the other is internally through the process of remembering Krishna, as is mentioned in here. So that both, both things have to go on, and cultivation means activity, and there's a certain process that one has to follow. Oftentimes people, you know, when they get introduced to devotional service, they'll just, it's like, yeah, I just have devotion. I think about Krishna all the time. Or even like the one about chanting. It's like, oh, I'm always chanting. I don't need to count it, you know. <laughs> but the cultivation indicates there, there's actually some parameters there to uh, keep you disciplined and on track in order to come to the point of developing a taste. Thank you. Uh, anything else? Anyone else? Yes. I was thinking on the point about the living entities condemning themselves and um, how for us, like for me at least, on a not very purified stage, it's very, like often it's hard to discriminate between what is Krishna's arrangement and Krishna trying to teach us a lesson and what is our own foolishness and what got us to that point of being condemned. Like, or at least like even in minute forms of you know daily things that we do that kind of like bring us down bring our consciousness down like is it krishna making it tough to give us a lesson and to make us go through that or is it just our own foolishness so well, one thing that helps is is uh, a longer time span in any practice because uh of course there's a in mathematics, there's this phenomena called the law of large numbers. And there's, um, and it's explained that the, the, the more times you do an experiment, the more likely it's going to come to its average mean. Because um, if you flip a coin three times and you go, it's always heads. See, it doesn't work. If you flip it a thousand times, you're going to get closer and closer to 50-50. Um, I sort of, you know, twist that little thing, but the fact is that the longer you do devotional service, the more you start to, to see Krishna's arrangement and, and be able, a lot of it is because of experience and looking back in hindsight. Like Steve Jobs said in his um, commencement speech at Stanford, he named the three points in his life that were um, <coughs> most meaningful, and all of them were disasters. And he said that uh, when they happened, he just thought, you know, the universe is against me and this is horrible. And then later on he saw that just like in a forest fire, it opens up the canopy of the forest, there's nu nutrition and that comes into the soil and new plant life starts. Some seeds don't even germinate until they get burned. But it's, the feeling was it was all over, it was all burned. But then it was like new life. And he saw, actually, later on, he looked back and he said, you can't connect the dots forward. It's very hard. But when you look back, you can see, oh, that was... And he wasn't even practicing bhakti yoga. But devotees through buddhi yoga, when they become more refined, they're appreciating at every moment how Krishna's making arrangements. And the other thing is, it's okay to assume. You don't even have to assume. You can just see from evidence that uh, Krishna gives in and the way he interacts with others is that uh, whatever he does is always beneficial for us. And not only that, he's extremely um, kind. He's really an ocean of mercy. So the kind of tempering that decision of what, like, why is he making it so hard with me? Because it's not uh, because he's into torture or something like that. Which can be like the frustration but actually remembering, and I was just writing to someone the other day, pulling out examples of the way Krishna, uh, well, for instance, he forgave Putana. That's just forgave her, but he kind of overlooked the fact that she tried to kill him and, uh, and just gave, him, gave her the, the ultimate benediction of uh, reestablishing her relationship and so on. And you can go down the list 
And if you kind of develop that faith that Krishna really knows a lot more how to do this than I do, and how to deal with the situation, you can kind of relax a little bit and let go. It's, a, it's an important point, though, because so much of our relationship is based on our interactions with, with our daily life. Vidyam cha vidyam chayas tadvedo bayam saha only can, one who can learn the process of nations and that of transcendental knowledge side by side can transcend the influence of repeated birth and death and enjoy the full blessings of immortality. And there's a way of the juxtaposition of my frustration by my material life and my cultivation of spiritual life side by side that augments the realization ultimately. Thank you for bringing that up. There were... Somebody else was going to... Oh, no, nobody else was saying. I'll, I'll read a little more. <sighs> Failing to do this, he falls down. To do what? Uh, that is, that uh, to serve the Supreme Lord by his own constitution. The Bhagavatam 11.5.3 confirms this as follows. Yaisham purusham sakshad atma prabhavam ishvaram Anyone who does not render service and neglects his duty under the primeval Lord, who is the source of all living entities, will certainly fall down from his constitutional position. In this verse, also, the word bhajanti is used. Therefore, bhajanti is applicable to the Supreme Lord only, whereas the word worship can be applied to demigods or to any other common living entity. The word avajananti, used in this verse of Srimad Bhagavatam, is also found in the Bhagavad Gita. Avajananti mamudha. Only the fools and rascals deride the Supreme Personality of God and Lord Krishna. Such fools take it upon themselves to write commentaries on the Bhagavad Gita without an attitude of service to the Lord. Consequently, they cannot properly distinguish between the word bhajanti and the word worship. The culmination of all kinds of yoga practices lies in bhakti yoga. All other yogas are but means to come to the point of bhakti in bhakti yoga. Bhakti in bhakti yoga. Yoga actually means bhakti yoga. All other yogas are progressions toward the destination of bhakti yoga. From the beginning of karma yoga to the end of bhakti yoga is a long way to self-realization. Karma yoga without fruit of results is the beginning of this path. When karma yoga increases in knowledge and renunciation, the stage is called jnana yoga. When jnana yoga increases in meditation on the supersoul by different physical processes, and the mind is on him, it is called ashtanga yoga. And when, and when one surpasses the Ashtanga Yoga, and comes to the point of the Supreme Personality of Guided Krishna, it is called Bhakti Yoga, the culmination. Factually, Bhakti Yoga is the ultimate goal, but to analyze Bhakti Yoga minutely, one has to understand these other yogas. The yogi who is progressive is therefore on the true path of eternal good fortune. The yogi who is progressive is therefore on the true path of eternal good fortune. One who sticks to a particular point and does not make further progress is called by that particular name, karma yogi, jnana yogi, or dhyana yogi, raja yogi, hatha yogi, etc. If one is fortunate enough to come to the point of bhakti yoga, it is to be understood that he has surpassed all other yogas. Therefore, to become Krishna conscious is the highest stage of yoga. Just as when we speak of Himalayan, we refer to the world's highest mountains, of which the highest peak, Mount Everest, is considered to be the culmination. The yogi who is progressive is therefore on the true path of eternal good fortune. It is by great fortune that one comes to Krishna consciousness on the path of bhakti yoga to become well situated according to the Vedic direction. The ideal yogi concentrates his attention on Krishna, who is called Shamasundar, who is as beautifully colored as a cloud, whose lotus-like face is as effulgent as the sun, whose dress is brilliant with jewels, and whose body is flower-garlanded. 
Illuminating all sides is his gorgeous luster, which is called the Brahma Jyoti. He incarnates in different forms such as Rama, Nishinga, Varaha, and Krishna, the Supreme Personality of Godhead, and he descends like a human being as the son of Mother Yashoda, and he is known as Krishna, Govinda, and Vasudev. He is the perfect child, husband, friend, and master, and he is full with all opulences and transcendental qualities. If one remains fully conscious of these features of the Lord, he is called the highest yogi. And um, I mean, the Bhagavatam says that unless one has this, which means uh, the clear idea of the form of the Lord and one's relationship with him, which was indicated in the last paragraph, then there's no standing in any kind of other so-called perfection. It'll, it'll slip at some time. So, or one will slip from that position. Just like, um, that the demigods praying to Lord Krishna within the womb said that unless somebody has um, a relationship with the Supreme Personality of God, it develops that relationship then whatever imagined type of liberation one attains, because of impure intelligence, one will fall, fall back down from that, from that position into the material world. Again, because we have to have, uh, we have, we have, to have the um, absorption of love in uh, in order to be um, stable, because that's our, that's what's ultimately all-encompassing and satisfying. And uh, when we transfer that loving propensity to anything in the material world, it is uh, insubstantial and doesn't reciprocate the way that Krishna can. So uh, somebody falls down from that situation because ultimately they start hankering for, for more. Especially if it's naish karmyam. I think we quoted last night, naish karmyam apyachuta bhava varjitam nashopate jnanam alam niranjanam. If someone uh, becomes uh, detached from any kind of fruit of activity and is established in self-realization but doesn't have this uh, relationship with Krishna through the bhakti yoga process, then it doesn't look well. Nashobhati jnanam alam niranjanam and one, uh, one won't be able to sustain that position. And then the verse goes on to say what to speak of somebody who's just engaged in uh, sense gratification because um, he said you get chewed up from beginning to end with that process. It's, it's troublesome no matter what you do. If you have any thoughts just please let me know. This stage of highest perfection in yoga can be attained only by bhakti yoga as confirmed in Vedic literature. Yasya devi para bhaktir yata devi tata garao tasyaite katitahyarta prakashanti prakashanti mahatmana Only unto those great souls who have implicit faith in both the Lord and the spiritual master are all the imports of Vedic knowledge automatically revealed from the Shvetashvatar Upanishad. Bhaktir asya bhajanam tad iha murto tropadi nairasyena mushmin mana kalpanam etadeva naishkarmyam. Bhakti means devotional service to the Lord, which is free from the desire for material profit, either in this life or the next. Devoid of such inclinations, one should fully absorb the mind in the Supreme. This is the purpose of Naishkarmya. That's from the Gopal Tapani Upanishad. These are some of the means for performance of bhakti, or Krishna consciousness, the highest perfectional stage of the yoga system. And it's just uh, counterintuitive to the material mind that I would uh, do selfless service. Because it's a service pervades everything, but it's all motiv motivated. It's very rare that there's selfless service. It's very noticeable when there is. Even when 
the material service is tinged with some kind of goodwill or selfless service. Like you just see any business that's run, like an airline, I always notice they go around and try to render the best service they can. But it's, um, it's motivated because, hey, if I wasn't paying for this seat, <laughs> you probably wouldn't be doing this. And uh, at the end, like on United, they always say, well, thank you for your business. And I think, yeah, it's just a business. That's all you're doing. But if you see somebody in the course of doing their regular uh, paid services, they, they go out of their way to help somebody. It's um, like they didn't have to do it. Then everyone, oh, well, that was amazing that you did that. There's a, a sort of recognition that it's noble, that uh, you did something for somebody that uh, was over and beyond. And you get noticed for that, even within the business, they'll put up the uh, salesperson or the, or the employee of the month. Because what do they do? Um, oftentimes it's because, you know, they just, they did more service and may, it was probably more selfless. They, they did extra. What to speak of, if someone just gives up the whole concept of getting anything returned, as was mentioned here, and just thinks, how do I render completely selfless service? I'm saying that it's counterintuitive to the material mind that that would actually make me happy. Because I'm always when in a conditioned state of mind thinking, what's in it for me? And how am I going to profit from this? But isn't it interesting that the profit comes almost immediately when one even starts to think about selfless service? There's an expansion of the... Um, the consciousness in, in just thinking about doing good for others. In fact, Prabhupada says the best way to fix the mind is um, to think about how, doing, how, how to do good for others. And the moment Prahlad Maharaj says that I think about sense gratification, what's in it for me and how am I going to get something out of this? What's my angle? That's when the, uh, one starts to suffer. You don't even have to enact it. All you have to do is start thinking in that way. And you get an anxiety, like, why am I so miserable? Even Dale Carnegie said it in his book. It's called, How to Stop Worrying and Start Living. It's good for every temple president to read. And, and he gives, it's a great book, actually. He gives these anecdotes of people who are in dire... Um, Straits and their you know lives were, were ruined or about to be ruined. They found out they had cancer. They lost their business because they blew it. They cheated. And they got caught. Whatever it was, and they were real life examples. But one of the one of the universal ways in which uh, <coughs> he shows how people have been relieved from that uh, dire situation is they started thinking about well, how can I do some service? Forget about my situation. Let me help somebody else. And immediately their whole scope of consciousness ex expands and they start to feel satisfied. It's a, um, it's a universal truth for the soul that uh, uh, service is, is our dharma. It's inseparable from the nature of the soul. But when you purify it and you make it selfless service, and then you direct that to the Supreme Personality of God, it is the root, then that's the perfect uh, solution. Ahaitu kia pratiyata, yayatma suprasiditi. means satisfaction. It also comes from the same root as the word prasad. Like grace, mercy comes. And there's a way in which, for those who are totally absorbed in that, they don't have to worry about it, adjusting anything in their life because Krishna does it for them. He acts perfectly as the, um, as the <coughs> best friend within the heart, Surit, to give intelligence to a person. And he also says, I personally uh, arrange their life so they don't have to worry about anything. Yogshemam Baham Yaham means I put my personal hand in. And we read in one of Prophet's purports <coughs> that, that if somebody is so absorbed in doing devotional service that he or she doesn't have time to take care of him or herself, <coughs> then Krishna does everything. He recognizes, oh, this person doesn't have any time anymore to do anything. So he just sends all the resources and all the means in order to 
to assist that, that person. And it's, it's the only way of actual uh, happy life is to be fully absorbed in bhajate and worshiping Krishna. Natural satisfaction grows from that and not from any other arrangement. What do you think? Prabhu. Uh, one point on that. <coughs> We see in the histories of many of the devotees that uh, even that some of them were in abject poverty as well. So how would we understand that kind of situation? Well, poverty is really a state of mind, isn't it? Some rich homes and I've been around people who are really materially wealthy and there's a definite, with many of them, a sense of poverty. There's one thing is, uh, even sociological studies showed, and Dave Amrita Swami talks a lot about this, of people, if they have $10 million, if there are neighborhoods where people around them have $100 million, <laughs> then they really suffer a lot. It's totally relative. And um, you have the, the example of Kolavetra Sridhar. Yeah. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu as Nimai Pandit used to come by every day and enjoy his relationship with him, he would, he would um, kind of harass him in a loving way. And he was pointing out to him, he said, what's wrong with you, you know? Look at your cloth. It's got holes in it. All you do is tie knots in it to keep the holes out. And look at your roof, you know? You, you know? And, and he was like, y you know, why are you a, like a devotee? Because you're living like in poverty. And Kolavitra sure was, uh, no, I, I'm happy. What do I need more cloth for? Just tie a hole, tie the hole up. And later when Marj, when Mahaprabhu was performing as Mahaprakash and he was inviting all the devotees to come in and ask for benedictions, then he called for Sridhar. Everyone, who's Sridhar? You mean that poor guy that lives down by the Ganga? So they brought Sridhar. And then Mahaprabhu kept saying, take a benediction. And, you know, I'll make you an emperor. I'll give you untold wealth. You'll be the most powerful person in the universe. And, it's, you know, I don't want that. I don't want that. I don't want that. Same with Prahlad Maharaj. And the Sringadev kept saying I, that, that, you know, take a benediction. And I don't want any benediction. I'm your servant. You're my master. That's just the way it is. I'm not a vanik. I'm not a merchant. I'm not asking for anything. And then he, then he forced him and he said, okay, Make it so there's no material desires in the, even in the core of my heart. <laughs> That's what he asked for. And Kolavetra Shira said, all I want is life after life to interact with, have the loving pastimes with that, that rascal Brahmin who is like harassing me every day. Please let me have that. Cause that so really the poverty is, uh, and even in the, in the history of Veda culture, you know, the Brahmanas, they generally didn't keep anything. And that's really the, the real wealth. If you don't need anything, then you're happy. I was, we were just talking about this the other day, like when you grow up as in, a, in, the, in an ashram where you learn to be satisfied sleeping on the floor. I was so nice, you know. He's like, I don't have anything. I, I remember when I joined the Hare Krishna movement, some of my friends from high school, they came to see, are you crazy or what? Because they're like, you're really going to join this thing? And I said, yeah, get out of here. <laughs> and so, you know, and by, by the time I, I saw any of them, like five years later, I had already been around the world three times or something like that. I, I had no money at all. I slept on the floor, but I lived like a king. You know, I had the best food in the world. I had the best friends, the best lifestyle, getting up early and dancing at 4.30 in the morning. <laughs> and we danced every Mangalartik. It was just like an ecstasy 24 hours a day with not a care in the world. And, you know, when you've had that lifestyle and then someone, uh, you know, you see somebody with the burden of material wealth and all the anxiety that comes along with it, you just feel sorry for them. I was saying how, you know, in the, in the Toronto Temple. It's on one of the most opulent um, sections of, of the world, actually. Those homes there are 
are more costly than any. They're a huge compound like houses. And uh, Jagadish Prabhu, uh, many years ago, he was at GBC there. Devotees were going out on Sankirtan, different places. He always said, I want to go door to door, help the rich people. Because they're like, they have a heavy burden. And uh, he felt compassion for the rich. You see what I'm saying? Yes, Prabhu. I was thinking, like we're telling that selfless service, that uh, the idea is very nice and we appreciate it. But many times when we try to do that, there are uh, there's a tinge of uh, wanting uh, motivations, like selfish motivations that creep in. So how does one uh, work on uh, uh, removing it or trying to make sure that we keep our uh, the desires pure? Or, Usually, uh, it, uh, it's Krishna who helps the devotee clarify it. Vidhunoti, which means the one who sorts all, all the impurities from the real pure thing. For somebody who has the right intention, Shrinvatam Swakata Krishna, Punyashravana Kirtana, Ridyan Texto Hipadrani, Vidhunoti Suritsatam. And Krishna gives a taste or a sample taste for what it's like when you have an inclination towards unmotivated service and then the devotee can see for him or herself that all oh, these other things are just getting in the way if I could just get rid of all this other stuff and I could just have pure service if someone can have a glimpse of that and then actually start praying for it even though you could see it's practically impossible to get but then if if that's the intention that's what you really want that's the um, real key and it's Krishna who reveals that. For instance, with Narada Muni, he gave, Krishna gave Narada a sample of what it f feels like to have that complete connection to the Lord through selfless service. And then he took it away and he said, you're not there yet, but I showed you what it's like. Mm -hmm. And now you can, you can live towards attaining that. You get a little free sample, like a candy bar. <laughs> candy company, they make a, a small candy bar about that big. It's got the same logo and everything like that. I remember this in Chicago, they used to give them out for free on the street. They had these girls, they were dressed in a uniform and they had these big uh, boxes of uh, these free candy bars when the new brand would come out. And a huge line down the block, people taking them. And then after they get one and they really like it, and then they say, give me another, and they said, nope, now you've <laughs> got to go buy it. <laughs> so Krishna gives a little f a sample. Prabhu? Bhakta Luke, he says, how do we give up the desire to be recognized? Oh, yeah, well, you know, Raghunath about this in his Manakshiksha, and... Uh, it's similar to the last um, point you know, that we were discussing. If, you, if one understands the caustic nature of these desires for recognition and how much they really obscure my ability to um, relate to Krishna in a pure way, then one starts to look at them as uh, being poisonous. Raghunath Das Goswami describes it as um, uh, when one wants self-recognition in, in, re, in return for one's devotional service, then he says it's like being burned by the donkey's urine. I mean, I don't, you know, you don't have to talk too much about it. Donkey <laughs> urine is not like <laughs> bathing in it. And so that's an indication of how somebody who's tasting what the pure thing is feels about those other kinds of things and I would say just practically you just try it try um, doing service without getting any recognition and then you could start to see that actually uh, Krishna's the one who's reciprocating anyway and just as in the case of Madhavindapuri it's mentioned his service was so pure that uh, <coughs> He, he became famous for it. Like I said in the beginning, it's so rare. So if somebody has even a, a modicum of 
this pure service, then people start to notice. And then it says in the Chaitanya Charterita that he became famous. And he didn't want that, so he left town. Uh, he left Ramuna right away because I don't, I don't want anybody even noticing me. And <clears throat> there's, there, are, there are opportunities to do selfless service and not take any recognition from it. So I recommend just trying it whenever you see the opportunity to do something without getting anything in return that is recognition then try that and see how Krishna reciprocates from within the heart because he's the one actually who's arranging everything anyway any other things? I'll read the translation one more time. What time is it, Gopal Champapu? Seven more minutes. This is a free sample. If you want the longer version, we're going to be at Govardhan. <laughs> but at Govardhan, we read um, pretty much constantly. We keep a quota of pages every day, and then uh, we'll stop at intervals. But make sure to stay on track to complete the pages so you kind of get a nice balance. So, and of all yogis, the one with great faith who abides, always abides in me, thinks of me within himself. He abides in me, always thinks of me within himself and renders transcendental loving service unto me. So what are the three things? What is what does the yogi do? Bhakti yogi. Abides. Abides in Krishna. Thinks, thinks within himself. Three things. What does it mean to abide in Krishna? Yeah. Okay. Well, in the in the ninth chapter of the Gita, Krishna says Samaham sarvabhuteshu nami dveshostinapriya ye bhajanti tumam bhakta maite teshu chapyaham. So it's a really interesting verse because Krishna says that I'm equal to all and I don't envy anybody. But if somebody, so samaham sarvabhuteshu nami dveshostinapriya ye bhajanti tumam bhakta maite teshu chapyaham. The translation is, I'll read to you that, but if somebody renders service to me, But whoever renders service unto me in devotion is a friend, is in me, and I am also a friend to him. So abiding in Krishna is really um, this um, dedication. And there's a way in which one, one becomes absorbed in Krishna's nature. I mean, the, the, the verse uh, uh, Krishna says... Um, Bhaktimam Abhijananti Yavan Yash Chasmi Tatvata Tatomam Tatvato Gyatva Vishite Tarananta means he enters into my nature. Vishite is like like the word where Vishnu comes from. The vish means to uh, to penetrate, to pervade, penetrate and pervade. So the same thing is if somebody's doing devotional service, one abides in Krishna in the sense that everything about his or her life is is in Krishna, and Krishna is in every part of it. There's nothing that's separate, no separate interest. It's not like this part's for me and that part's for Krishna, or um, I do this on the weekend and uh, and on the weekdays. That's for me. That you know, there's no division in there. The uh, uh, one who abides in Krishna is always with him in every circumstance and in all activities. And then thinking about Krishna within oneself. What about that? Any thoughts, references? Yeah. Karoshi Yeah, Karoshi Always seeking his guidance as the person, I mean, you know, within my heart. Trying to become one with the will of the Lord. This is, you know, one very elementary way that Prabhupada talks about this in the um, Bhagavatam is the verse that ends Anumapakai in which Prabhupada describes the way in which one can introspect 
and see that he or she is not the body. You can actually look and start to discern that my arm is my arm, it's not me, and my leg, my head, and so forth, and go through the, do the whole inventory. Mm -hmm. And then he talks about the way in which you can see how you're getting intelligence from a higher source, as you're pointing out. And that, uh, where's that coming from? He said, it's just like a parent giving instruction to a child. So then you can understand that actually this is coming from the higher source. It's coming from Paramatma. Then he says, then you can, through your intelligence, you can understand that this can't be the ultimate supreme giving you that instruction because the ultimate supreme is an order supplier. Because in this world, the Yeyitamam Prapadyante, Krishna is fulfilling everyone's desires, the super soul. But um, actually, he has his own life beyond just uh, being a, a, a guardian of the li living entity in the material world. So then you can understand Bhagavan through logic, actually, Anamapakai. You can logically understand that there is a Supreme Personality of Godhead beyond um, <coughs> the, the, just the, the one who's giving intelligence from within. And there's, uh, there's a, a series of ways in which Krishna says to think of him in the... Uh, in the uh, eighth chapter of the Bhagavad Gita, right? Does anybody know what the verse is? Do you know where it is? It's right after Krishna says, Tasmat Sarvishu Kalishu Mamanusmanar Yujicha Mayarpitamano Buddhir Mami Vaishyatsa Samshayaha. Does anyone know what that verse is I just said? It starts off with Tasmat, which means therefore. Because Krishna was is talking in the 8th chapter about attaining, attaining the Supreme. So he starts by saying that Antakali Chamam Eva, Smaramukva Kalevaram, Ye Prayatitamam Bhaktiam, and then Yam Yam Vapi Smaran Bhavam, Tajat Yante Kalevaram, Tam Tam Evaita Kante Asadatta Bhava Bhavita. So these two verses mean. You know, whatever you focus your attention on, you're going to get that. That's pretty profound, isn't it? How much power we have to uh, direct our own destiny. So then, this is the verse he says, Therefore, tasma, therefore, sarveshu, kalishu, in all times and circumstances, you should think of me. Mamanuspara yujicha. mami Then he said, there'll be no doubt that you'll attain me if, if you'll do this. Think of me in all times and circumstances. Then the next verse. That's where he, he gives indications of ways that you can think of him, and they're, they're pretty interesting. I'll read you the verse. It's verse number eight. He says, uh, uh, no, nine. Kavim Puranam Anushashitaram. So Kavim means the one who knows everything. This is one way to think of Krishna. He's saying, this is how to think of me. As the one who knows everything, Kavim. And Puranam means the oldest. Anushashitara means the controller. What ways would you think of Krishna as the controller? How would you think of him like that? Sun, the moon, the air. Sun, the moon, the air, yeah. Overseeing permitter. And later, 15 chapter, he talks about how I'm the power of digestion. That's really close to home, right? Because, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, it's like, yeah, I'm enjoying life, I'm eating. But, you know, it's up to Krishna whether it works or not. He's actually the fire there, he's so kind. And then Rasa Hamapsakonteya and all. All these different ways Krishna hints that you can think of me. Uh, and as the controller, then he says, uh, <coughs> Anur, uh, uh, smaller than the atom, Aniyamsam, Anusmaret. Then Datadam, the maintainer. You should think of me as the maintainer. A Chintya Rupam, and that has a, a transcendental form. Aditya Varnam, he's luminous like the sun. 
tamasa, parasta, and he's always above darkness. So those are some of the, the specific ways that Krishna says, you should think of me. Kind of practical, right? So Prabhupada quotes this verse a lot, Yogi Nama Pisarvisham, to point out Krishna's intention in the Bhagavad Gita is not to just, uh, there are many paths, pick whichever one you want, but he's pointing out that there are varieties of paths, but then he's pointing to the superiority of bhakti. Does everyone agree? Okay. Any other things, points, questions, uh, observations, realizations from the day? What did you get from the day today? One thing that you're taking away? Something. I am a part and parcel and my job is to serve. Part and parcel, just like a little screw, screw, screw. or like a finger. Any realizations from today? Anything far out happen? Yes. Like the screw that detached from the machine, it lost its purpose. When, but only a mechanic know how to put it back. Yeah. Similarly, when, nice. similarly when we, when a guru accepts us, and uh, he know how to attach us with back to go ahead. You're, you're a mechanical engineer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, nice. So that's where you go. You fit right in here. And you get aligned with proper service and everything like that. It's, that's one of the main points of being aligned is if you have service. And on a practical level, even in, you know, we see in the ISKCON movement, someone can find some service and develop it, even if it starts with something really tiny, seeming insignificant. But if you just grab onto it and keep developing it, then it becomes the connecting and sustaining factor in one's life. It's really important. Thanks. Three more and then we'll call it a night. Three more realizations. Doesn't have to be from our discussion so far, but from something from your day that you saw, heard, tasted, smelled, felt, that made you think a little more deeply. Go ahead. Um, that I need to hear and read a lot more in order to flood my mind and um, so I can get at least some intelligence so I can discriminate between when I'm doing service with the more with my intention to for it to be selfless or when there is actually some hidden motivation. Because a lot of the time I may convince myself that I'm doing selfless service, but in reality it's to gain something. So um, doing this pretense, pretense service is dangerous and you know, convincing yourself that you're actually following the path. And in order to be able to avoid that, you need the intelligence and to get the intelligence, you need to hear a lot. Otherwise, like if you don't hear from the like from guru and so on, you won't be able to discriminate yourself. Like I said, that's nice. Uh, you know, when you develop a desire to hear more, that's a good sign of spiritual health. You know, sort of a, a desire or greed. To you have greedy ears, you, you know, it's everywhere you go, you're trying to tune in and hear more, and you have that sense, you know, I have to hear more. And there's, there's a way in which a good hearing and chanting tends to leave us with more of that. It's not like, okay, I got everything now, I got it down, that's it. But that, you get more surface area, and there's more I- intensity of desire to hear more, because you go like, wow, there's a lot more out there than I, than I actually knew. That's one thing. And you were saying about the danger of having, like, motivation. On one side there is, I mean, it's good to see both sides, because on one side there is, and on the other side, it's, it's almost inevitable, because um, that's the kind of um, flavor of my existence, you know. But there's so many ways in which the Bhagavatam and in the Gita, Krishna encourages us to go forward at, at any point. And Srila Bhaktisiddhanta points out in his uh, introduction to the Brahma Sanghita, he said where there's mixed devotional service, the good news is there's some pure devotional service mm-hmm. there because 
What's it mixed? <laughs> What's mixed with what? <laughs> so, the, see the positive side. And Bhagavatam says, Shukadev akama sarva kama va moksha kama udaradi divrena bhakti yogena yajeta purusham param, which means that whatever you're starting with, just keep going for for bhakti. And kama dvesha bhaya snehad. This is from the seventh canto. Said so no matter where you're starting with. Uh, you know, if you're approaching Krishna out of fear, lust, uh, <laughs> greed, you know, all these kinds of things, you're still going to get purified. So on one side, for the person trying to refine him or herself, it's like, oh yeah, that's not good, but it's also um, Krishna's instruction in the verse, Jatashadama Katasu Nirvina Sarvakarmasu, to keep going, because it's inevitable at some point that you're going to notice that my my service is motivated, but it doesn't matter. I mean, it matters, but it you should keep going because it's going to get purified by approaching Krishna if you keep doing that. So it's kind of a balance. You can't get too bummed out that that um, like God, I can't do this right. That's what Krishna says in that verse, Shrata, that keep going because uh, you'll be purified. Don't worry about it. Last one's realizations. Sharing means caring, according to the Salvation Army. <laughs> what did you see, hear, smell, touch, feel today? Uh, I just want to say it's very nice to come in and hear you talk the last two nights. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm very new to the Hare Krishna stuff, but um, I have like, um, studied parts of the Bhagavad Gita before and different like um, different paths you know but it was always my belief was like that that Krishna conscious or the God conscious was the uh, the supreme you know that I was aiming for and then just recently I um, I came across different teachings which is more based on law of attraction and what they were teaching you know it's form it's material right it's like you know we're here to come and experience and expand and, and do all of this you know and um yeah, it just didn't sit right with me, you know, because they even spoke on, um, like one was talking about her friend who had a, a near-death experience and, like, he crossed over for a bit and he came back and what their thoughts were, like, oh, when he went to that, like, place, eventually he found it boring, you know, and it's like they're saying, like, that we, we asked to come here onto this uh, world because that, like, that oneness of all of that it's eventually boring, so we want to come and have the contrast, so we can kind of like have the contrast of like the good, the bad, and that, that we need like the bad, and to experience the good, you know, so like, that was like, I found that really confusing, because it like, went contrary to all like, what I had believed before, you know, so, so I feel, yeah, I was meant to come over here, like to, um, to experience what I've experienced so far on my trip, and to, to come here and sit and listen to you, because it speaks to my heart a lot more, it's like Krishna conscious, so uh, yeah. Yeah, that's important. It speaks to your heart because that's the heart is the chariot driver of the chariot, and the heart's what drives us. I just want to comment about the crossing over, <laughs> going into debt. Really, that's what karma. Karma means debt. It means you're enjoying, but you got to pay it back with interest, or just pay it back. And the fact is that material life. It seems like I'm doing something worthwhile. But I'm entangling myself and I'm exploiting others at the same time, or vice versa. And there's, so there's the number line, and then if you go up on the number line, kind of intuitively that this material life is train wreck, so I've got to get out of here. So you, a lot of philosophies go up, and they get to zero. And then they go, like, that's a relief. Once I come to zero, I'm out of karma. But zero, zero, there's a kind of a, that sense of, like, relief from material life. But the Bhagavatam says, and I quoted the verse earlier, Aruya Krishna Parampadam Tata, unless you have um, enjoyment, actual enjoyment, not just relief and, and uh, you're out of karma, but you actually have to have some kind of enjoyment and enjoyment comes from variety. And especially from relationship, variety and relationship and tasting love. So, like if you don't get it and you won't at zero, then, and you don't have any information of the other side of the number line, which is the positive numbers, and that's bhakti. Mm -hmm. That's what we're talking about in 
uh, Prabhupada mentioned in the purport, there's a relationship with Krishna, then naturally you'll turn back again to the negative numbers because the material world is a reflection of the spiritual world and it, it, looks, it looks nice on the outside. It seemed like a good idea at the time. <laughs> and, but once you actually go there, there's this grinding effect again in the negative numbers. And you're like, oh my God, I'm getting ground up again. So what's the answer to the puzzle? And that's bhakti, that there's actually a positive side to the number line. And once you start engaging in that and transferring over all the energy you gave to the negative side, where you were losing, 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 then uh, you find the variety you're looking for, but it doesn't have the inebriety of the, of the negative numbers. You don't get chewed up by it. You ex actually become more exp you become expansive in your consciousness and filled with happiness. And I think your statement was so um, profound about your realization and the way you're, you know, fitting into bhakti and everything like that, that we should make that the last word of the day. What do you all think? Sure. This is good, right? Okay. Thank you very much to everyone who joined us online, and thanks for joining us here in the live Vrindavan studios <laughs> of the MBT. <laughs> Join us at from the Govardhan studio coming up soon, yeah. probably on Saturday. We'll be stationed there. Hare Krishna. Gopremanande Haribo. Not to the Armarman, 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 not to the Armarman.